Good afternoon, my name is Cyril Sarebwa and uh, I'll be your host for today. Welcome to the CISA podcast season two. My guest today is Sherman Wilkins. Our topic is the shift outside the box and the hidden discoveries that do follow. So with us today, Sherman Wilkins, and I'll I'll allow you to introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about yourself, Sherman. Thank you so much for allowing me to have the privilege of being here on this call with you today. This is phenomenal. For everyone that is listening, remember, CSAP is the heart of everything because we focus on the future generations. My name is Sherman Wilkins, and I had the pleasure of, of... being with Cisco for just about 12 years. I came in to Cisco through CSAP in the 2008 and 2009 class, and I've had the joy of being able to be a part of uh, this company, seeing different transitions, and also having opportunity of being in different roles within the company. So really delighted to be a part of the conversation today. Thank you, Sherman. I, I like your enthusiasm, especially when speaking to CSAPers, and I'm sure they are thinking, you know, that's one of ours, and they can relate so much with what you're saying about CSAP being this cool place that you just don't want to leave. Absolutely. So if you don't mind me sharing, there's a powerful quote I got from one of the most renowned philanthropists and activists that ever existed, Martin Luther King. And he said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep on moving forward. And that's a very powerful quote, understanding that change resonates with you so much, Wilkins. What advice would you have for young people who are starting off and who ideally are confused with uh, the transition they're taking? What's the best advice would uh, you'd have for them at that point? Don't allow others to define who you are and be okay with change. Don't feel like you have to know every single thing because you know what? We've been gifted here on this earth with people that know those things that we can tap into and help us. I struggle with this coming from CSAP as an ASE to becoming an SE, I realized that I was surrounded with peers that were 12, 20 years my senior, and they'd been in this industry for a long time. And that put a lot of pressure on me. And a lot of times where I felt like I was the not so smart person in the room, yeah, it didn't feel good at all. But I realized that the people that I was given the opportunity to work with, that they didn't look down on me. They gave me an opportunity to to grow in some ways, and sometimes they would just kind of kick me into the fire. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then you realize that everything's on fire. Um, and I, I would just essentially say, don't allow the external pressures of you being the, the novice in the room dictate what your response is going to be, because someone that is an early in career can say something that is enlightening just as someone that's 20 years your career. All it takes is you being patient with yourself and giving yourself the opportunity to learn and grow, and then you'll see the transformation that will take place. Now, I have an interesting question to ask you. I'm sure there's a point in that growth phase when you are coming up and you're feeling these changes, 
did you ever sit back and second guess every step that you made or did you ever look back and say um i would have done this differently would you change anything at this point ideally now that you're older and more experienced absolutely i felt like i had to learn every single thing and that meant it was a lot of late nights at least for an engineer uh, being an SE in the company, one of the most prestigious positions that you could ever have. I spent so much time staying up late, studying and studying all these different things in order to really try and and, and make a, a pivotal impact. <clears throat> and I would say if I was to look back and, and change, because I've done that a lot, I would say that I, I would not have... I would not have essentially tried to be well-developed in every single thing. I felt like every single topic, every single strategy or challenge that was presented to me, I needed to go learn it and figure it out. Um, and that's not a bad trait. I think you define the areas that are are where, where you see that you can make an impact and and and... I, I would share this. <clears throat> Someone shared with me that if it takes you over three hours to essentially figure something out, like if it takes a long amount of time like that, then maybe you should ask yourself, are you wasting time? Because there's probably somebody out there that knows it that will be able to give you the, the knowledge and the information that you're searching and seeking for in a faster time. So just being able to be more mindful of not feeling like you're on an island by yourself, being quick and, and adamant in in asking for help and not see, not allowing that to be seen as a weakness in your character, your ability to achieve or or be supportive of your team. I totally relate to you because at this point we're in right now in CSAP, especially on a personal level, We've had one of those situations where, especially with the whole uh, COVID situation that's happening on a global uh, landscape, we've been now subjected to work from home. And ideally, it's not what um, we pictured from the beginning. So it's uh, forced us to adapt uh, to the changes and to be brave while doing that uh, transition and changing. What what has helped you develop that muscle for the job each and every day? Because you speak about bravery. Um, from time to time, and what has helped you develop that muscle to actually survive the changing times? I I love this question because I had never thought about it until about 2008 when I was in the ASC program. And back during this time, um, our CEO was John Chambers. I call him Uncle John. <laughs> look, Uncle John was cool. And look, Uncle Chuck is even cooler. <laughs> but... I, I would say that John Chambers at the time, he essentially said that you, that we as a company, and that drilled down to the individual person, that we needed to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And at that moment, I was like, wait a minute, what? You want me to be uncomfortable? My heart's racing? <laughs> like those were all those types of emotions were being associated to this. And as I, I really began to ponder the thoughts more, I realized that, well, if I'm actively looking at how I can grow, how I can develop, then I can never become complacent. Complacency is a killer in so many ways. Whether we become complacent in our homes, we can become complacent in our parenting, we can become 
become complacent on the job, like it impacts everything outside of just bringing in a paycheck. So as I begin to realize that, I, I said, well, by me becoming complacent, it would impact and damage me and, and all of those others that depend yeah. on me. So in 2008, 2009, that was when the bubble burst happened. And as John Chambers at the time began to, to share and lead our company, layoffs were happening, all different types of things. And we were the new people coming into the yeah. company. We're like, okay, we're at the bottom of the totem pole. So does that mean we're going to get cut? But I, I would tell you that when... <laughs> When you when you realize the dynamics and you also realize the importance of those that are leading you and you trust in the vision and you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone and be a part of the shift, be a part of the the, the transformation, then it allows you to grab on tightly and ride the wave a lot more. Now, that's not to say that you're scared. Absolutely. There was bone chilling moments. Bravery isn't about you being afraid. It's about you taking the step, even though you were afraid or you didn't feel like you're making the decision. So I I look at those two things being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And the second is being willing to make the step, even though you're fearful for your life. And bravery is one of those topics you keep on touching on. And for those guys who are listening out there, it's a lot to pick out from Sherman because looking at your CV, such a deep technical background, right? Um, in your wildest <laughs> senses, you would have thought three years from now, I'll be on, this, on the commercial sales side of things. So what influenced you? What, what made you passionate about making that change uh, from a technical background to a sales background? What, what, what influenced and stimulated this change? So I, I would say that this was a journey that probably started at about 2011, maybe 12. I would actively have meetings with my manager, um, one of the best managers ever, technically sound, you name it. And on our one-on-ones, he would say, you know, Sherman, well, what do you want to look at doing? What do you want to, what do you want to become? And I realized that, and at the time I was studying for my CCIE, and I was, you know, had this desire of being like business oriented. Because believe it or not, when I was in the ASC program, my technical skills were by far the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my business acumen skills were on the higher end of the scale. And so I realized that, you know what? I want to essentially begin to mirror those two attributes about me, which meant that I was going to have to grow my technical skill. So I intentionally put myself in a position that challenged me technically, which I was extremely grateful for. So as we begin to have these conversations about what I wanted to be, what I wanted to go, at that time, sales was not interesting to me at all. Believe it or not. I was like, I like being an engineer. I love the technical things we do being on the CLI, all that other stuff. And I like seeing a smile brought to the customer. But on the other side of it, I really enjoyed engaging at the higher executive suite level. Because in my position as an SE, though it might be different from other engineers, I really thrived on being in those environments. So I would be a part of those meetings. And so I was and so I was kind of between, all right, this engineer, this business architect, is there a role for that? And my my manager shared with me, 
he said, you know, Sherman, you don't wait to become, you don't wait for the promotion to come to you or the role to be made available to you for you to start doing the work that you aspire to do. You just start doing it. So when you do it, when the role comes, you'll be ready. And I said that was by far the most profound uh piece of knowledge and insight that could have been given to me. And as much as I would love to say, Serial, that it immediately started then, it didn't. It took a very, very long journey. It took another six years before I actually made the shift to being an account manager. And I say that what ultimately made me change, I realized that there was a lot of things that I was doing that was still evolving the customer. I had been with that customer for literally my entire tenure of being in the field, but I realized that there was like this void, that there was something that I wasn't ultimately getting that was no longer, like I wasn't able to like thrive and and become excited about it again. And again, I pondered between the decision, but I'm great in this position. I got the customer relationships. I know the customer's network like the back of my hand. Like it is, why would I want to shake that up? Like it doesn't make sense. If I did do that, it's going to take me all this time to redevelop all these relationships and get to know these people. And and I'm going to be like a new person starting all over again. So that became a fear, mm-hmm. right? But the point that I shared with you earlier about being uncomfortable with change really began to take place in my mind. And I realized that what are the goals that I strive to, to become better in, proficient in, Um and owning the customer relationship, being able to see the successes could easily be done in more ways than just being an engineer. So I say, you know what? I can always come back to being an engineer. Let's try it. (laughs) So I jumped. I jumped in the deep end. And it has been the most exciting uh, transition ever. Now, don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. I was scared out of Mm -hmm. my mind. I was. But when I look back in retrospect, it was the most delightful thing. And so just being mindful, what is it that you really aspire to do? And it can become so easy that we get a job and we just work it or we get in a career and we just work it and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to dream. When we stop dreaming, that is the immediate killer to transforming our lives. And so I never allowed that dreaming to stop happening. Um, And when I did, the people that I had surrounding me that love me still to this day, they were like, Sherman, uh, what are you doing? Why are you not challenging yourself? And so that was the motivation. You've had such an influence career from technical to sales acumen. What would you say the big difference is of being on the back end of things? And being in the hot seat, ideally on the commercial sales side, where you constantly have to meet the customers, you constantly have to have this very good engagement process inborn in you. So what would you say is the key difference between technical and sales? And does one complement the other? It does. I I would say that the, the difference between it I, I changed. I had to change my perspective. I realized that account managers actually do work. <laughs> there was many times I'm like, okay, are the account manager? I feel like the engineers work way more than account managers, but there's a different type of work, and my perspective had to change. So for all my ASR AM 
fans out there like, look, nothing but love for you guys. Not, nothing negative. I had to change my perspective. I realized that in the role that I was granted and the position that I naturally began to do as an engineer, transitioning over to the sales role, it was like it went from morning to afternoon. It was it was the same kind of stride. Much it didn't really feel like a change. What I what I did realize for me is that I now had to own relationships at a very higher level. I had to do a lot of relational building to build relational equity with customers that were, you know, key decision makers and and that's not to say that I didn't have that as an engineer. It w- it's now just expanded at different levels. So whether we look internally with inside of Cisco from our marketing to engineering to, of course, our, our direct management to now our overlay teams to our partner community to channels like now having to carry and walk with this big family of support in order to make sure that we ultimately deliver to the customer. So that that was the bigger piece of the change and you know again having to address you know the emotions of partners not feeling like they got an adequate you know chance at winning the bid yeah that was new it's like whoa man partners are out here complaining like what do you what do you mean but i realize that they're people so it, it it's always making sure that you're hearing the ultimate need of what the people are asking um, and being able to help them. Being an engineer first and transitioning over to the sale role was by far a massive compliment. I feel like I immediately got trust and buy-in from the customer because not not only was I able to speak at a business level, but I was I was able to say, well, in essence, your engineering team, by deploying X, Y, and Z, this is how it will benefit your portfolio. Well, also too, are you aware of how it integrates with this third party something that yeah. you have. And then they would begin to look back and say, interesting, this guy knows what he's talking yeah. about. And and even to the SEs, right? My SEs, I would say that I had to build immediate trust with them that I knew what I was talking yeah. about because I realize now that SEs are like, AMs don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. I was probably there myself and didn't realize it. But as I began to essentially state with confidence that the technical things that I knew on the topic of what we were discussing with the customer, Mm -hmm. I immediately developed respect and and trust with my engineering team that supports me today and with the customer. So it has definitely helped me become more of a value, value add to my customer with regard to the solutions that we sell. Now, away from Cisco, away from all this uh, talk of AC, ASR. Now, on the general perspective, for all the viewers, not only the young viewers, but for everyone out there who ideally has been having this at the back of their mind that they want to take that jump in career, what are some of the deepest virtues that you embodied ideally that you can share just to understand what this transition requires in terms of determination, in terms of attitude? Because I know all these things outside the job had a really big influence uh, to you making this transition, right? Yeah, absolutely. Man, Sarah, you hit that on the head, buddy. I I would say that whatever position that you found yourself in before, don't allow that to label you. I think that's the most important thing. 
you look at whether you're in a technical arena or you're in the business arena and that's all you've done for some period of time, that doesn't define who you are, right? Each person has a gift that is bubbling inside of them that can really be delivered and showcased in so many ways. They just need the platform to do it. Whether you're doing it in technical, whether you're doing it in sales or you're doing it in some other place that's outside of Cisco, like realize the gifts that you have and don't be ashamed to use it. It's important to be confident, right? And just because you're confident, I just want to I just want to touch this one, right? Confidence doesn't mean you're cocky. Confidence doesn't mean that you always have the answer in the room or you're the first one to speak, right? That can almost come across as cocky or not inclusive of those that are that are around you. So, like being confident in yourself and your own skin and your own knowledge of you and also in your aspirations. In order for someone to make a change, majority of the time, there has to be enough pain that motivates him to change. If we could get to that place to where we can do without the pain and immediately change, man, every one of us would be phenomenal in every capacity of our lives. But the average person, like they find themselves not changing until there's pain. So being being willing to, to take the step to disrupt what you felt was normal, what you felt was convenient, what you felt that you were the SME in, the subject matter expert that is, and say, you know what, I'll give it up and, and take the step. So it's it's being willing to take the step and not allowing people to define or label who you are based on past roles or past positions. Now let's take a flashback, flashback in memory lane. Oh man, we're going we're back, going in, back time. in time. I like it. So... CSAP, you speak so highly of CSAP. I want to know from your words, what's been the biggest thing CSAP has given to your career? And what would you have for any young professional out there who's heard of CSAP and ideally wants to make this career transition? I just want you in a nutshell to tell us all about CSAP and what it's done for you in your professional career. CSAP has stretched me. CSAP stretched me. CSAP continues to stretch me because I feel that the imprint that they put on me just within that year continues to be the theme in my life, even where I am today. It, to me, created the platform to establish relationships beyond the borders of my my American lifestyle. We had folks from all over the world Canada, Australia, Asia, I mean, you yeah. name it. People were from all over the world and they they brought together all sorts of incredible ideas and and fun, yeah. right? So, CSAP created a platform to build a family, a family that I continue to remain actively in contact with yeah. today, and it created a position to even develop me in ways that I did not know that I needed to be developed. Now, I'll give the example. In CSAP, we we had to do this class that was called Communicating with Confidence, which meant they, they recorded us, literally recorded us while we we're talking. I did not realize all the vocal pauses that I would say 
or how uncomfortable I was because I was moving and fidgety and all yeah. over the place. And so really bring being able to bring out the best in me is what CSAP created, which was by far a gift beyond gifts that it just continues to keep giving to me. I'm grateful for that. I think I have one of the most powerful questions to ask you at this point. Give us the power of storytelling from an AM point of view. How has it worked well for you when you ideally walk into a customer scenario and you're required to pitch from the top of your head? How much has storytelling influenced your transition into being an AM? Give us the advantages of storytelling and your idea of how powerful storytelling can be in terms of selling. I was telling stories before I even became an AM, before I even worked at Cisco. I didn't realize the power of it even in that moment. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Sherman is a storyteller. Now we know. Yes, I'm a storyteller. If my wife was to tell you, she would say that my stories are too long. So be, being an AM, the power of storytelling is important because customers, partners, whomever you're you're walking in 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 relationship with in order to win, to be successful, or to enable the success – is that you want to be able to captivate their thinking. And I realize that not everyone has the ability to stretch their thinking beyond the boundaries of what's right there in front of them, right? And so it literally becomes this dream renaissance where you begin to take them into your world. You begin to pour onto them the excitement. You begin to really challenge them in a joyful, exciting way that would allow them to see, you know what, I've thought about it this way, but now that you say that, that's something that we could potentially go down and, and see and, and, and leverage. So storytelling really begins to take the boundaries off the logical thinking that so many of us easily become entrapped to. And I think the most critical key of the storytelling is understanding which part of the story the customer enjoys. Because you can have one customer that likes to get the pieces, and so they figure out how chapter two is going to be revealed, while others, you know, they like to understand all the facts, and then they begin to piece it together, while others are like, tell me the whole story. I just want to sit back, relax, and hear it. So really being able to understand where the customer is and, and what attracts them. We're telling a story right now about the excitement of CSAP and how that's transformed lives, not just mine, yours and others that will hopefully one day listen to this podcast. So it's a conversation that, that's taking place. There you have it, folks. Straight from Sherman himself. Very key points he's touched on for this episode. And I'll just break it down for those guys who are just tuning in right now. The key messages that we are trying to pass to the audience is don't allow others to define you. Be willing to lift each other, have each other's backs, and redefine bravery in these times, especially with the times that we face right now. Chairman, thank you so much for your time. And for those tuning in right now, subscribe and tune in. Awesome. Thank you. It was a pleasure and honor. Thanks for having me on the show, Serial. 